The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of the station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and Podcast are produced and created by Element Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts in related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Element Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see everydaywealth.com. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use in distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien, personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner Rose Neung. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and Rose Neung. So a few weeks ago, there were lots of news outlets that were talking about a new, quote-unquote, magic retirement number. And that's the number, the, the actual amount of money that people think they need to be able to retire comfortably. And it made the news because it was a 20% jump from the year before. Hi, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien. And I'm Rose Young. I'm Jean Chatsky. And you're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. And Soledad, you're right. This may news. According to a survey from Northwestern Mutual, Americans now think they need $1.25 million to retire comfortably. That is a big jump. And unfortunately, while people think they need more to retire because of what's been going on in the markets, the average amount of savings in retirement accounts has dropped by 11% over the same time frame. And what's also interesting, Gene, is the fact that that expected retirement age has also gone up. Hmm. It has been at 62 for quite some time, and now people who have responded are expecting to be able to retire around 64 years old. So you need more money and you need to keep working longer. Let's jump into this. You know, I'm always curious, Rose, if your clients come to you and say, the number I'm trying to hit is X. Because when I was younger, that was my strategy. And then as you get older, you start talking, and we've talked a lot about goals and strategies and what you're trying to get to in life versus that quote-unquote magic number. Well, that number really is going to depend on uh, lots and lots of factors. So what kind of retirement are you wanting to have? Where around the country or around the world are you going to live in? Are you supporting kids? Are you supporting parents? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, different types of people and how they should invest, but different types of people also have different types of responsibilities. So if you are part of that sandwich generation where you find yourself maybe having young adult kids at home that you're still supporting or even supporting from afar and maybe aging parents who may have not have the opportunity or have done a better job of saving, your number may look a lot larger. So focusing on that number really is the wrong approach. We'd really dig in and try to focus on the goals you're trying to achieve, the amount of money you're making, because that determines the amount that you can save, and trying to massage those numbers to come up with a number that'll give you a good probability of succeeding in retirement. Well, and the interesting thing is, and I think it's especially interesting this year because we've been talking so much about inflation, is 
you could have been aiming for one number, and that number could be totally wrong now. It could be it could be way too low now. I mean, when I remember my first meeting with my planner, and they they take a look at what you're spending. They they do factor in inflation. They look at when you may or probably will take Social Security, and and maybe they aim to hit some target. But for me, the target was always. This is how we want to live. I can tell you those numbers today are a lot different than they were when we started. The and- point you just made emphasizes the fact that a financial plan is a living document. Mm-hmm. It changes all the time because we change all the time. Not only do we change all the time by wanting different things, the environment around us also changes, right? So if you have set that number 30 years ago and now you find yourself in a situation where you want more, there, there goes that fact that people are now, okay, maybe I'll push it a couple more years before I can retire. But if you're still focusing on that number, you may be chasing it for a very long period of time. Do your tools encourage people to actually overshoot the goal in case we get a year like this one? Not only overshoot the goal, but also include things that may be unforeseen. That's really the whole point of overshooting the goal is because you can't know everything today. Most planners will ask you for your expenses, like I said, your income, when you're going to take Social Security. But are they taking into account medical costs? Right? Are they in- taking into account whether or not you, you may move? Are they taking that into account? And then the state taxes changes, uh, for example, depending on where you go, right? So interesting enough, um, when I was on your Her Money podcast, Jean, there was this woman from California who submitted a question. And basically, she figured out that with her $1.5 million savings in the state of California where she lives in, where with her house even paid off, She may need to work five more years, but she found herself in a situation where her children are moving to Tennessee. And all of a sudden she's saying, well, if I took my one and a half million and the value from my paid off house and moved over to Tennessee, is that possible? Yeah, you most likely will be able to have a comfortable retirement in Tennessee versus California because housing will probably be a lot cheaper depending on what you buy. Everything in California. Exactly. Exactly. But here's the thing. What if your children move back to California and you have retired? What do you do then, right? So a good financial planner has to kind of think above just what you want today and walk you through the scenarios that could happen to to help you make that better decision. I would think that rarely does anyone get the information like, oh, my God, you have saved too much money. It is just too <laughs> much. You know, I don't know what we're going to do with all these bags of cash that are lying around. Right. Like, I think I think it just doesn't really work that way. I agree 100 percent. And I even tell my clients that all the time that I've never met anybody who said I've saved too much. Right. <laughs> it just gives you more options. Nobody knows some of those goals that you have and has seen more people in the situation you are in, then most likely your financial planner. Can we talk about big numbers and what they do to people's heads? (laughs) Explode them. Exactly. I mean, I I think that I think sometimes people look at big numbers, right? Whether it's a big number for a house or a big number for a vacation or a big number for retirement, and they just think, I can't. I just can't. It's too big. I can't. And then the sad part of that statement is that then they stop. If you are putting in a little bit and you realize you're not going to get to that 1.25 number within the math in your head, not accounting 
for growth in the market, not accounting for match from your employer plan. A lot of people are surprised if they just have that set it and forget it factor on it can stop you from acting. So sit down with a financial planner, have them discuss the lifestyle with you that you want to have in the future, and then determine what small incremental changes you can make in your life now to better help you get to that point. But most importantly, even if you are closer to retirement and feel like you only have a half a million dollars, what changes can you make now to get closer to the number that you need Or what adjustments can you make in your lifestyle, right? I think we are all, I mean, especially coming out of the last three years, used to adjusting our lifestyles because of external factors. You bet. We cannot underestimate the human fact that we can tighten up, right? So then determining what is most important to you. Is retiring now most important to you or is the lifestyle that you're living now most important to you? And then make that that decision based on those factors. I like the idea of this choice, right? Yeah. Like it's a menu and there are a lot of choices. And listen, if you have this expensive habit, <coughs> horses, <laughs> you know, like then maybe you're committing to five more years of working, right? Because if that's something that you want to do or you like to travel around Europe or you want to go and visit your kids all over the globe, you know, whatever. I think then you have to say the way to pay for that is either cut back on those trips, get rid of the horses, get rid of the, you know, the the family visits everywhere, or say, I want to keep those, they're important, and I just have to actually figure out how to pay for them as well. The whole point of saving for long term is delaying gratification, right? So making those choices, what can I forego, what can I not forego, and and this is why I think focusing on this number also is so wrong. It's because my life is going to be so different in so many ways than your life, Gene, than your life, Soledad. So if we're all saying we only need 1.25 to retire, that number could be more than you need. That number could be less than you need. So figuring that out is very important. And sitting with a financial planner who is going to keep you focused on the goals that actually matter is very, very important. If you are looking for a financial planner or and or don't have one right now, you can always give my colleagues at Adam and Financial Engines a call. And that number is 833-PLAN-EFE. And that's 833-PLAN-EFE. A real place where this math comes into play, and I have a ton of experience with this, unfortunately, is in caring for your elderly parents, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about caring for your aging parents. That's coming up next. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'm here with Gene Chatsky and Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Rose Young. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. We are back in just a moment. In today's volatile market, you might be tempted to sit things out, thinking, I'll just wait until the market calms down. Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner to learn more about the risks of market timing and other potentially costly mistakes. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. So have you heard of the 40-70 rule? No. It says that by the time you are 40 or your parents are 70, you should have had the conversation or at least started the conversation about their resources, how they want to live as they age, whether or not they actually have the ability to do that. And 
how and when you might be asked to step in and to help. Look, family caregiving affects millions of Americans every day in all walks of life. We've got almost 18 million individuals in the U.S. who are family caregivers of somebody 65 or older. And so what that means is that this is in the future for a lot of people. Today, we're going to talk about the steps that come before caregiving, the steps that can help make helping your parents easier, less stressful on both you and them, and and a little bit less fraught. According to AARP guys, three in four older adults want to stay in their homes as they age. 85% of adult children want that as well. But we are not set up to make that happen. Right. I know everybody wants to stay in their home, right? I get it. I really get it. And yet... The bedroom is on the second floor, and yet there's not another room for a caregiver. I mean, and by do the I time, sound frustrated? Yeah. <laughs> you sound like you've had some personal Lord experience have with this. Mercy, yes, I have. Yeah, and then most of the time, I mean, as people, I think our brains are wired not to think about when we become incapacitated or when we die. So we avoid these things, and then by the time it is actually time to make these changes, choices may be very limited. Like you've mentioned, Soledad, if your home wasn't set up for a wheelchair and God forbid you lose your mobility, now your choices are limited. You're going to have to either do a major renovation to the home, move into another house, and all of this are, are done in a rush way, making it a huge financial challenge as well. So let's get tactical. I mean, some people actually think my 40-70 rule is too late. They think you should be having these conversations before your parents hit age 65 because that's when we start to see in some people signs of cognitive decline that starts to set in. So what do we need to talk about specifically? Well, where do they want to live? And then in that conversation, it could be hard. And this is where bringing in a financial planner or third party can really help. Because parents don't want to be a burden on their kids. So they don't necessarily say, well, I'm going to move in with you. But a financial planner that can look at the picture, look at the finances, can say, it would be better if you can move in with one of your children. And then have that family discussion. Who's more able to take care of mom or dad? And another thing also besides just who's going to physically take care of mom and dad, because things can get pretty unfair if we have to have them in our home but also take care of them financially if they ever need to, is discussing what will the other siblings do? Are they going to pitch in or are they going to come in and help in times? That way we don't lose a lot of income. So all those things are things that that you really, really need to take care of um, as well. You talked about where they want to live as they age. Let me just tick off a list of the other important questions that people really need to think about. What kind of health and life-saving measures do they want? These are the kind of things that go into your your living will, basically, When and everybody should have one of those. Who do they want to make legal and medical decisions for them? That's what goes into your durable power of attorney for health care and your health care proxy. And then, as you were saying, Rose, this discussion of assets, right? So that you all know if, if all of these things can actually happen. So Lynette, I mean, I've, I've, I've come part of the way with, with my mom. You've been through it with your parents. Did you, did you have 
that discussion about money, or did you just sort of assume that you and your siblings would ste- step in if needed? We assumed that we would step in and pitch in if, if we needed to. But I think the bigger issue for us was that 70 is too late. And so you don't get a real answer. You know, and parents are so ridiculously aggressive about not wanting to give you – I know for people who are kind of nosy about every dime that you're spending, like yes. everything, <laughs> boy, when you turn the tables, those folks do not want to actually give you any insight at all. And so it really was a bit of pulling teeth. And I, I do agree. I think 70 is too late. I actually would say you want to be on an account early on so you can start seeing where they're spending. I've seen so much fraud or just people – you know, again, my, my dad had an entire freezer of Omaha steaks. <laughs> like, they're delicious. But do you need 500 Omaha steaks? Probably not. You know, he would just buy things. And it wasn't until you saw the output, you began to realize, like, oh, there is something not okay. And often the problem has gone pretty far down the road before then. So I would say get involved early so you can see some of these blips in, in billing. I think you're and, right. Uh, you know, I've started... I am nowhere near 70, (laughs) let me just state for the record. But I've started having these conversations with my kids. And, you know, they would ask us, like, so what are you going to leave us? How's this going to work? And I would almost be offended. And then I thought, actually, they should know. We should literally sit down and talk about, here's what we're thinking. Here's how we see it playing out. Here's what we hope for. And it's not just what they're going to get as you get older or even as you pass away, right? It's a lot about, well, here's what I want as I get older. Here's how I want to live. Here's where I want to live. Here's who I want to live near. All of those things are important and getting your wishes known early as opposed to when you're elderly and frail and afraid. Mm -hmm. It's just so hard when you do it at that stage. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I've started talking to my kids too and I have two very different children. Um, My uh, my daughter is very uncomfortable around medical stuff. She just she just doesn't like being anywhere near a hospital. And so when I sat my kids down to say, I'm redoing all of my estate plan, I'm redoing my powers of attorney and my health care proxy, I said, do you want, Julia, do you want to be in this position with your brother of having to make medical decisions on my behalf? And she was like, you know, I do not. <laughs> you know, I do not want to be anywhere near that. I said, okay, that's that's totally fine. I wanted to give you the choice. I wanted to see if you wanted to have a part in this conversation. But it made it very easy. And now they know, you know, when it comes to the finances, they'll have an equal voice. But when it when it comes to medical stuff, he'll just he'll just do it. And Jean, that is the best way for you not to be a burden on your kids. Having a plan ahead of time is the best way to not be a burden on your children. Yeah, absolutely. I think just I just waited too long. By the time we had those conversations, my parents were so unwilling. They're not the only ones. They Uh were so unwilling, and they would say, oh, everything's great. Oh, all is good. And you're like, it's not good. One day I walked into my dad's office, and the bills were just stacked, unopened. Like, clearly chaos had reigned. I'd go to their house a lot, and I thought, like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know, and we just then had to kind of dig in, but it was so messy, and it could have been so much better organized. And I think... 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, we could have had a normal, maybe uncomfortable-ish, but normal conversation about a strategy. By the time when you do it too late, it's just chaos. So I would, my advice would be just suck it up and have that conversation early. And they'll be relieved when you have it. I mean, I had it fairly early with my mother because my father died so young. Um, and, and so I know 
where she wants to live with me. I built my apartment so that if we need to have her live with us, we have some nice winged separation. You know, hope <laughs> important. I, it's, I just, I think, I think the sooner you bring it all up, the the better it will be. So let me just revise my forty seventy rule. Let let's let's have these conversations much much younger. I, maybe maybe fifty, maybe fifty five. Uh, yeah, I'd say fifty five, sixty. Absolutely. And just, and, so this is where you invite all of your kids to my office <laughs> and I can be the bad guy and I can ask those questions and I can open a window for you to give the honest answer, right? Having that third person in, in there, make sure not only one, they can ask questions in a non-emotional way. When you make a decision, tell everybody how valuable that decision is, right? Taking it out of that emotional space that Soledad you were mentioning. An Edelman Financial Engines Planner can help connect you with a network of estate planning attorneys in your area. So if you don't have a financial planner that can connect you to a good estate planning attorney, you can always call us at Edelman Financial Engines. The number again is 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. I have this one client who about maybe seven years ago came in with their parents. Uh, Their parents had a financial planner, but they've been having more of this conversation that we've been discussing here today. And they wanted me to basically give them a a second look at what their, their parents are doing right now. And when we ran through the plan, what I've quickly realized was if anything went wrong in their parents' lives it will be a big disturbance to their financial independence. Wow. So we began to have the conversation around what will happen if one of you was to go into a nursing home? Because let's say, you know, many people don't go into a nursing home towards the end of their lives. A good percentage go in there for a temporary period of time. You had a stroke, for example, and need rehab that is uh, not going to be given at the hospital, but, but maybe in a nursing home facility. Unfortunately, soon after that conversation, their mother had such an incident and Mm. had to move in to a nursing home. Now the costs are piling up. So they came back into the office and we fortunately had that plan that the father will move in with the children so that they can afford the expenses that the mom now has. This just emphasizes the fact that the plan doesn't have to stay the same and we have to be able to adjust to it as well. Because soon after that, about a year later, the mother passes away And now the financial picture, even though the emotional picture isn't looking so great, the financial picture looked a little bit better because those expenses that they thought they will have for years and years, uh, they've only had for one year. So now this gentleman has moved back out of his children's house and moved into a assisted living community. So we've talked about this so many times that, you know, we evolve, so our financial plan has to evolve. But that estate plan, that care plan also evolves over time. What hits me with this story, Rose, is how personal it is. And as we are thinking about what our parents want, we're not just thinking about what is personal to us. We have to think about what's personal to them. We have to incorporate their factors and their wishes into the equation and try to use all of the resources that are available to to make it work. We talked about the fact that the vast majority of people, 85% of people, tell us they, they want to age at home. They, they want to stay where, where they are comfortable. As 
you think about that being the ultimate for a lot of people. How do you answer the micro questions that that sort of fall beneath that? You know, who does what? How much time is it going to take you to spend with your parents? How, How do you deal with that? You cannot make these decisions on an island. You cannot make assumptions that your siblings will step in as much as you will. Your parents shouldn't make that assumption as well. So this has to be a family affair. And I think having it hashed out by a financial planner, right, who doesn't really have a dog in the fight, I think that's helpful. Plus, of course, there are some other really important and tactical things to do, like understanding someone's health insurance, Mm -hmm. right, and and what they've actually got and what it actually covers is important. Long-term care insurance, my parents did not have that, which... Well, that was a mistake, let me tell you, looking in the rearview mirror on that one. And, um, you know, and, and I think looping in an insurance expert, we've talked about this in the past, is really important. It can save you so, so much money. And that long-term care landscape, oof. too, has gotten so much trickier over the past several years. I mean, it, a lot of companies have exited the market. They're not offering policies anymore. New companies have, have stepped in and they're offering not just traditional long-term care, but hybrid policies. There are annuities that come with long-term care riders deciding which makes the most sense for you from a financial perspective for your parents, but but also, I guess, for you, because a lot of people are, are stepping in and helping their parents pay for these long-term care policies because otherwise there won't be enough assets in the family pool. Do you recommend that to your clients? Um, not recommending sacrificing your own retirement in order to make sure that your parents can retire in a better way, right? I don't even recommend doing that for your own children as well, right? But on that point of long-term care insurance, this just emphasizes again the importance of having these conversations early. Because, Jean, as you know, if you wait till your 70s to look into a long-term care insurance, you're not going to be able to afford it in many cases, right? So having these conversations early is extremely important. And also determining how much risk are you willing to retain And how much risk are you willing to give to the insurance company, right? Whenever we're getting any insurance, that's basically the line that tells you how much insurance you should get, right? And in some cases, if you waited too long, you can only afford a small bit of insurance. So if that runs out, you know, because maybe you you got one that is time-based, what is the next step, right? So it's not just about having that initial conversation, but a layering conversation. So you are home now. But let's say hypothetically, in 10 years, you can no longer be at home. What do we do then? Okay, well, that's not going to happen, but this is what I would want. That's how the conversation goes in my office, right? I will push for that. Okay, if that doesn't happen, we're good. We are here to plan for the worst case scenarios. And I think you also have to constantly make sure if you're dealing with an elderly parent or parents, not to let their financial struggles suck you under, right? Like to yeah. really have a plan that is that is not, oh, I just fund this person as if they are a 12-year-old again in my life. I mean, it's very easy for that to happen if they're not prepared. And but I, I think it's also hard for it not to happen, right? We're usually dealing with three things here, three competing priorities. We've got your own retirement, we've got college for the kids, and we've got the needs of your parents. So when we look at those three factors, you can borrow for college, you can put off your own retirement. 
if your parents need financial help, it's really hard not to give it. But financial help can be, so then you need to move in with us, right? Right. And financial help can be, so I will take, I'll cut back on my job and actually provide part-time care, right? As opposed to hard cash, basically paying people. At one point, we had, I think, three tiers, right, of eight-hour shifts, for people helping my yeah. mom and dad. I mean, in, and then it was the two of them, right? It was just an insane number of people rotating through to have 24-hour-a-day care. The math just did not work out. And I know they wanted to stay in their house. It just was not financially possible to really make it happen for them. And it also was unsafe. The key is knowing where those dominoes are going to fall. As you're going through the process, figuring out financially, okay, Play this forward for me. Play it out 12 months. Play it out three years. Play it out five years. That's something people need help with. Absolutely. And in many cases, uh, as you've mentioned, Soledad, it's a very hard choice to make, right? Bringing in a financial planner that can share with your parents what them, depending on you financially, would mean for them. Remember, we set this by saying parents don't want to be a burden on their kids, is going to make that conversation of them maybe having to move in with you that much easier because they know if they don't move in with you, you may be in a situation that they are in right now and they don't want that for you either, right? We never stop being parents, whether our kids are 60 or five, right? <laughs> so, so bring in a financial planner in that conversation and you can always reach a financial planner by uh, going to planefe.com. And it's not just about those big things. It's not about helping your parents pay for a nursing home. It's also helping your parents clean the gutters because they can no longer get on a ladder. It's going over there to make sure that they have enough groceries or bringing them a meal because you don't want them to cook all the time. Those things not only have a small financial burden to them, they also have this emotional burden, right? I got to say, I have a friend who moved his parents to his town. They had retired somewhere else, but this was the town where they had raised their children, both parents in their 80s. And he is there every day. Mm-hmm. He is he is over there every day. And he's over there every day to shovel the snow when there's snow, to pick up a prescription when there's a prescription to be picked up, to deal with the, you know, remote control when it stops working because the batteries have died, right? I mean, it's it's a time suck, which he's happy to do, but the emotion is crazy. It's huge. Ahead, we're going to be talking about cohabitating, which I never really called it cohabitating, right? Don't we, we just call it moving in together? Shacking up. Baby. There you go. <laughs> shacking up. You know, a lot of people cohabitate or shack up because... It can save the money in the long term, right? It feels like, hey, you don't need two apartments. You don't need two of everything. You can save money. But there are some obstacles, financial obstacles, when it comes to cohabitating and you're not married. We're going to talk about that just ahead. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and I'm here with Gene Chatsky and Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner Rose Young. And you're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. We're back in just a moment. With talk of a recession coming, it's time to ask yourself, is your financial plan ready to handle it? Talk to an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner and learn how to help prepare for whatever lies ahead. Call 833-PLAN-EFE or visit planefe.com to get connected. 
So let's talk about cohabitating, shall we? Shacking up is what we used to call it back in the day. And I wasn't aware that the share of adults who are currently married has steadily declined from close to 60% back in the 1990s to under 50% in 2019. That's from Pew. And over that same period, the share of adults between the ages of 18 and 44 who are living with a partner has climbed to 59%. I thought that those uh, data points were kind of staggering, actually. I would not have guessed that. It's not surprising to me. I think that the two statistics actually go hand in hand. I think people want a partner. They want somebody in their life. They just don't feel the need to tie the knot, right? And they've seen these statistics on divorce come year after year after year. They think, well, why am I going to bother to take this legal step of making my relationship a business partnership, essentially, when I could road test it first or even road test it forever without having to. I think a lot of the stigma of not being married has actually gone away. What people don't realize is that there are a lot of financial protections that you actually get when you're married. Talk about the tax code, right? You have a whole different bracket if you're married versus if you're single up to a certain point, right? So all those federal protections that you actually also get, like when I go to a hospital and and God forbid if my husband was there, I just walk in and say, I'm his wife and they let me in. You don't have to prove it as long as you, you know, you're married, you can make those decisions, you are the clear next of kin. So all of those are not there if you're not in that legally binding contract. So so even though I am with you there, Jean, that um, just because I have many friends who live together who necessarily don't talk about when they're going to get married, my advice to them always is to, if you can't just inherently get those protections because you're married, build them. Mm. Build those protections so that if your partner was sick, you able to make those decisions. When you buy a home, I would imagine that should you get divorced or it dissolves, that then this property, regardless of whose name it is, actually has to be figured out who who gets what part of it, it's, which of course is a protection you don't necessarily have if you buy a house with a, a partner. It's part of, yeah, it's part of a divorce settlement and divorce agreement. Each state has laws. But I there's a, a column on Market Watch, um, a guy named Quentin Fattrell. He writes a column called The Moneyist, and he got a letter it just recently from somebody who said, I moved in with my boyfriend, he into his house, and I'm contributing to the expenses. I'm contributing to the mortgage. I'm contributing to the household expenses. I have no ownership in this. Is this a problem? Mm-hmm. And and he proceeded to lay out all the different reasons why this is a problem. But yeah, you you know, if you're if you're building a life together and you're building assets together, the assumption is that at least some of them are going to be yours if you split. And if you cohabitate, that's not always the case. No, it's not always the case. And also it depends on the the state that you are cohabitating in, whether or not you even have a recourse through the court systems, right? So with that being said, even though you don't have a marriage certificate that, you know, would be recognized, having a partnership agreement is something that you should definitely look into. Lay out what happens to part of this equity I'm helping you build if something were to happen. 
And I have a, a, a story similar in the sense that uh, this client uh, has been with with her partner. Um, she's she's divorced, so this is her second girl around, and just decided they're not going to get married this time around. And this year, they decided to buy a home together. Now, the complication came in when the partner is able to put in the cash to buy that home, and she's not against my advice because that wouldn't make sense for her. What do we do then? How do we title the house? Who's responsible for the mortgage? And she has kids from her previous relationship, and the partner doesn't. If something were to happen to her, what will happen to her share of that property? So sitting with a professional, talking to an estate planning attorney, building that partnership agreement is absolutely the best way to go in that situation. And even in the situation that you just mentioned, Jean. I love that we are just killing the romance of shacking up with our partner, just, just stomping it dead at any romance and getting right into the money. Let's talk about retirement because, of course, when you're married, you get access to your partner's retirement money if they should die, if you should get divorced, right? You have access to that. But, of course, if it's just a, a partnership without legal agreements out, you know, with standing in the middle of that, then you don't seem to have any rights to that. I think that's pretty clear no matter what state you're in. And also, let's add one more wrench into that, Social Security. Mm. If if I pass away, my family, my husband has access to some of those benefits that I may have not used. And this is even more important, Soledad, if one partner is working and another is not. That non-working partner is not covered at all Mm. under that spousal benefit that me as a married person would have gotten as well. So this makes uh, a situation where what will happen if you passed away? Your Social Security disappears. In that case, maybe you need to be saving more so that your partner is protected if you, the, the earner, pass away even earlier. I think most people who cohabitate still think of themselves in all sense as a married couple without that document, right? So then how do we make sure when we're building that financial plan, we are putting in the fact that your Social Security will not go to your non-working spouse. So we need to save more to be able to maintain the standard of living. Having those power of attorneys, having those designated beneficiaries on every account that you have, having that medical directive is even more important uh, because a married couple will have other recourses to get access to that. It may take a long time, so I'm still recommending for everybody to have a pretty buttoned up estate plan. But for Partners who are unmarried, this is even more important just because you may not have that recourse to get your hands on that. So then when it comes to talking about people who've decided not to get married, but they're going to live together, tick off for me, Rose, the ways that a wealth planner can actually help them navigate this. The biggest thing is helping you have that frank and honest conversations around what you would want to happen, not only when you're gone, but maybe when your partner is gone. And it's also very important right now to make sure that you have a will, a trust if applicable, right? If you have children, you must have a trust, especially if they are minor children and you're not in a traditional relationship where your spouse can just step in and also have power of attorney for, for your financials as well as uh, for health care. You know, when things that are so seemingly big happen that stops us in our tracks, the rest of the world goes on. 
That electric bill still needs to be paid. Mm. That mortgage still needs to be paid. Those kids still need to be get to school and back and forth. And we don't think about that fact, right? Your partner may have to stop working altogether to help care for you. Have you factored all that in, uh, you know, in, into those decisions that you are making? So sitting down with a financial planner, being honest about how you feel, and you can always reach out to Edelman Financial Engines by calling 833-PLAN-EFE. All right. Well, we are out of time, Rose. Thank you so much. Always nice to have you in studio. And for everybody else, of course, if you've got a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to have you come on the air to talk about it. Go to everydaywealth.com and submit your question. And together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk you through potential solutions that would be personal to you. And if you want to catch a show that you might have missed, you can always pick us up on our podcast. Often the podcast will have extra content. We're not able to air on the radio just because of time. You can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. We love feedback. Leave us a review and take a second subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. With Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and Rose Neyoung. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.